Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Uh, The book of Daniel, chapter number two. And I want to start with verse number 31 tonight. Last week, we just kind of did the Bible story, if you will, the forgotten dream. And that brings us up to this point. And we will not get finished with chapter 2 tonight. I've already determined that throughout the day today. But we'll try our best to get a little further. There's a lot of verses in chapter number 2, a little further on the way. Daniel 2 and verse 31, the Bible says, Thou, O King Saulist, I guess it'd help if I'd help you all out. Thou, O King Saulist, And behold, a great image, this great image whose brightness was excellent and stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. The image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut, out without hands which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away that no place was found for them and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. For a little while tonight, I want to start teaching along. This this is part 4A already, 4A, 4B will be next week, but I want to talk about this, this great image or a great image here this evening. If we can pray together, Father, I'm asking, Lord, that you would open our minds, our understanding and our hearts tonight, God, as we again, Lord, delve into the book of Daniel and the word of the Lord. I pray, O oh God, that you would help us, Lord, grant us understanding. God, as we look at some of these passages, God, which are, oh Lord, prophetic and also, Lord, historical, Lord, by nature, I pray, O oh Lord God, help us just to lean in, God, and to hear, Lord, and to glean, God, what we may, God, from them. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that we pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. 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 You may be seated as a means of an introduction or a little bit of a review from two weeks ago because it's been two weeks and not just a week you remember that king nebuchadnezzar had dreamed a dream or dreamed dreams the same dream over and over again and it came to a place that whenever he awoke from uh, his sleep he basically said that that thing was gone from him or in essence that thing was uh, forgotten uh, there's some that try to lean to the side that the king purposely had kept that uh, from his people I, I am not of that persuasion i believe the king literally forgot Uh, the dream and so he forgot this dream and he had told uh, some wise men that he had gathered together out of his realm that uh, if you could tell me the dream and the interpretation then uh, there's going to be some things rewarded to you uh, but if you cannot then there's going to be some other things that's going to happen and so the wise men upon hearing this uh, of course didn't hear it too well to begin with because they say what the king was asking 
or requesting of them was something that had never been requested before of any of a king's subjects. And that him wanting them to tell him the dream was by all accounts an impossibility. That just cannot happen. And it's never been done before. There is no precedent that's been set that any other wise men of any other kingdom has had to do that. And so whenever they gave that type of response to their king, uh, the one that they are to be subjected to, he became a little upset. Now let's just change that. He became a lot upset uh, to the point that he made a proclamation that uh, the wise men of his kingdom were to be destroyed. Since they say this is an impossibility, and since they say uh, no other king has ever asked uh, this of his subjects, then we'll just destroy you all, you know. So don't, don't. That's a blue screen, and that is not good. But anyway, he said, we'll, we'll just destroy uh, you all, and we'll just go about with business as we would like to go about with business as we will. And so when we understand that, after he told them, them these things, he went on and told them and plainly told them that if you can tell me the dream, then I'll know without doubt that you do have the interpretation. And so whenever we understand this, Daniel came to be included in that group of wise men. He was included with this group of wise men. It's all the wise men of the kingdom. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, all these are included in this group. And so whenever uh, Ariok goes seeking out to start his slaying of these wise men, and he comes to Daniel, uh, he, he basically tells Daniel what's going on, why I'm here for. And Daniel says, hey, stop, let's wait a minute. Why is the king so hasty? So let's give me time to pray, uh, to seek God, and God will give us the answer concerning what he dreamt and what the interpretation of this dream will be. And so God did answer, and that's our faithful God. God did answer Daniel and his friends. And Daniel got audience with the king to share with the king what should come to pass hereafter and what was going to take place. And he shared the dream first as written in Scripture, and then he shared the interpretation of the dream. And the king had, again, plainly stated, if you tell me the dream, I'll know you have the interpretation. And so according to Daniel... All of this knowledge, this revealing of the dream and the meaning and the interpretation of the dream, he, he puts all of that on God's shoulders where it rightfully belongs. In essence, King, I could never do this of uh, myself or of my own making, but this all concerns God. This is all about God. I'm trying to find where I'm at in my outline. I was using it really, but that's all right. <clears throat> Uh, so he received the answer from God. He, he, he gave the answer to the king. And again, he told it was all God. So Nebuchadnezzar, though, whenever God relayed the interpretation of the dream through Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar, it was in such a way of what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of that would serve an interest to Nebuchadnezzar. Firstly, because it was a dream of a great image. And so that's going to pique, if you will, the interest of Nebuchadnezzar because uh, they're kind of into this image thing over in Babylon. Uh, they have their gods of wood and stone images, if you will. It's part of their pagan practices. So to dream about something like this, this is going to interest him and pique his interest. Secondly, why it would pique the interest of Nebuchadnezzar, it would grab his attention, is because in this image were various metals, some of which, which are very precious metals, uh, metals that were worth a lot of, of value, a lot of money involved here. So this is going to grab the interest of King Nebuchadnezzar. As we go on, we look at whenever it speaks about the dream, uh, this dream, this image, 
and it speaks of the various metals, and it speaks of the various body parts of this image. The Bible always uses the, Daniel in the, in the dream. He says his arms and his thighs and his belly. It's constantly using the pronoun his, so, and it uses just primary human body parts, you know, a head, a, a arms and chest or, or breast, if you will, thighs, legs. Do you all got some of those? Okay, Amen. <laughs> So speaking in terms that we can all understand, feet, legs, so it's just the normal body parts of a man. And so from this, we deduce, because of the pronoun his, all right, the pronoun his, and it being an image with these normal body parts of a human being, we, we deduce then that this is the image of a man. As a result of this, this is the image of a man. Now, Tony, Tony Garland says this, uh, and that this is very true. He says, many of the aspects of the image, the example, arms, legs, feet, are mentioned simply because the image has a normal human anatomical representation. In other words, whenever a, a, a pitfall, and I'll get to this probably a little later again, a pitfall Bible prophecy is trying to get to a place that every detail has to represent something. It's a pitfall Bible prophecy. And some people linger over in that a lot. They, you know, well, you know, those fingernails, that stands for, uh, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, they want to get into all this uh, symbolism. But uh, the reality of the image that Daniel's seen is that it was after the form of a man, a human being. And so it has these normal body parts because that's just the way it is. I might share with you along the way uh, where some try to slide over and start giving all this representation to the two arms folded. Now, the Bible doesn't ever say anything about two arms folded. Now, a lot of times depicted in the artistic renderings and stuff of the image, we see that it has its two arms folded. But they try to talk because that, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but that comes down to the age of the Medo-Persian empire and rule. And so they say there's Medo, Median and Persian, they're wrapped together as one unit. Well, go fly a kite in the blue sky. I mean, you just read, no, for one thing, it doesn't say anything about its arms uh, being wrapped together. So what we're saying is this. Don't, don't try to capitalize and emphasize too much where something shouldn't be capitalized or emphasized. Uh, you can overemphasize some of those uh, details and really misrepresent uh, something, if you will. Or go f whenever you try to interpret Scripture beyond its interpretation, you're going too far. So... We don't want to overemphasize these uh, body parts. We don't want to overdo that. Yet at the same time, we want to be conscious. We want to be conscious of what uh, the Scripture says because I believe as we get further down this body to the head, going down to the legs, down to the feet, we find out finally in that last kingdom before the coming of Christ, it speaks particularly concerning the toes. And so we want, to, we want to look where Scripture looks, okay? And so just keep that in mind. We don't want to overdo it, but at the same time, we don't want to, be con we don't want to overlook, amen, some things at the same point of time. So again, for instance, they're just normal body parts, amen, they're referred to as his. Those are things that we need to consider. Uh, concerning Babel, uh, concerning Babel and this entire image, the image of a man, Remember Babel, that first kingdom which was uh, produced by Nimrod back in Genesis 10 and 11, that it was a very humanistic kingdom, you remember. Uh, the people, and, and uh, along the way, we'll try to tie some things we've learned together because it will help our understanding overall. But uh, if you remember back then, remember they were to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth or fill the earth. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. 
We're going to stay right here in the land of Shinar. We're going to stand right here in this region. We're going to build a tower that reaches into uh, the heavens, uh, lest we be scattered. So they were going totally, so it was a humanness that what they were following was their own human reasoning, their own human mind, uh, because they wanted to stay and build a tower. And whenever we see this, this image then that is in the dream of Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel is sharing attests to that very thing, the kingdom of a man. It is the image, it's his. It's the image of a man. And the kingdom of man as it was in Babylon, amen, and what it will be for these, these kingdoms that rise and fall through the, the, the visualization and representation of this image is a spirit of pride that is constantly there and that there is an extended rule. It happens, starts all the way back in Babylon, but it continues through these other Gentile nations, the extended rule, if you will, of man. Because Israel has already forfeited their right to have God in their life, amen, by their deeds. So that's the reason why they ended up in Babylon to begin with and now through these series of different nations. And so it is a kingdom as it was from the very beginning that is in total opposition against God. And so what we have in Daniel chapter number two, we have one image. Everybody say one. One, one image. It's the pronoun his is used. One man. We don't have several, just one. And so with that, this system, if we could call it, the system never changes. It's one. The system never changes, but the rulers of the system change. Babylon really never gets lost. Babel really never gets lost from Genesis chapter number 10 or the spirit of pride and, and the, 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 the kingdom of man that is in total opposition to God never really gets lost. It's still always one. It's the same system that we'll see today and in the last of the last days. The system doesn't change, just the rulers, those that are in power and authority over the system change and transition through time. And as we go, we see that each kingdom that comes and goes will leave fragments of itself in the upcoming kingdom. There's pieces of Babylon that still at work today. There's pieces uh, of the empire of Rome and the empire of the Greeks and the empire of the Medo-Persians. There's still fragments of them that could not come upon the earth's forefront and go off without leaving a part of themselves. Amen. To continue beyond their reign. In so much, and this jumps way ahead, but in Revelation chapter 13, there is a beast that comes out that is a composite of all these nations. It has features of different one of these nations. It, is, it, it would not be a common animal that you would see upon the earth today, but it's like it has the head of this, the wings of this. It is a composite of all these because every kingdom impacts or at least fragments of itself for the kingdom that is to follow. All right? Everybody all right? All right, they say. And so the first kingdom that we will look at here this evening uh, will be the head of gold. This is exactly what the scriptures spoke of in Daniel, that Daniel gave the dream. He basically told him that it, there was a head of gold, there was a breast and arms of silver, that there were belly and thighs of bronze or brass, that there were legs of iron, and that there were feet that were part iron and part clay. And there came a rock that was hewn out of the mountain without hands that came down and hit these part clay, part iron feet 
and the whole image crumbled before the rock as the chaff of a threshing floor, which the chaff of a threshing floor, you winnow it in the wind and it blows away. It becomes non-existent. And the rock becomes a mountain. And this is what Daniel related. And the scripture is very, very, very interpretive right here. Daniel switches now from telling Nebuchadnezzar his dream to telling him the interpretation. And it's very, very plain in verse number 38. You cannot get any plainer interpretation than what happens in verse 38. Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, thou art this head of gold. Now, there you are. You just stepped into deep waters of prophecy. And there's the interpretation. You want to know what the head of gold was in the image that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of in Daniel 2? You got it right here in verse 38. He said, Nebuchadnezzar, you and your kingdom, if you will, are the head of gold. All right? So the gold, that head of gold in the dream is Nebuchadnezzar. Isaiah chapter number 14 and verse number 4. The Bible says, and remember Isaiah, he's prophetic in his writings. He says that thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon. All right? There are several kings of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar being one of them. Against the king of Babylon and say, how hath the oppressor seized, and note now, the golden city seized. Because Babylon was known as the golden city. And hence, the gold in the image of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar was, it's gold because Babylon was known as the golden city. All right? As a matter of fact, history teaches that there, were, there was more gold in the temples of Babylon than any other nation. And so Babylon was known for its gold. And so the comparison, the representation of them being gold in the image becomes a little bit more clear because they were known in a historical sense and in their present modern day sense for being a city of gold. For that matter, out of all these gods that they did serve and give allegiance to, the chief was the god of Marduk, who was, guess what, right before you? The god of gold. So the, the, major, the major god, little g, all right, that they served was the god of gold. So it make, it, it, it's real. I mean, Daniel already told us that is what it is, but we get a little more understanding why it is, why it is, because they are and served a god of gold, and so it makes sense then that they would be the head of gold. So Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold, and he is as the king of Babylon. And Daniel ascribes to him, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, that you are a king of kings. Now, we attribute to our Lord and Savior, he's the king of kings. Now, I wanted to make that distinction tonight. Uh, Daniel called uh, Nebuchadnezzar a king of kings. Uh, our Lord is the, everybody say the, the king of kings. And Daniel spoke of Nebuchadnezzar that he had this brilliant power brilliant strength, great glory, and something that is a, a, a distinction about Nebuchadnezzar as being king is this, as the king of Babylon in that day and culture, he had absolute rule, which basically meant nobody told him what to do. There wasn't a committee, a group of princes. There wasn't anybody. 
He was king. He was the absolute rule, the absolute authority. If he wanted to make a law and change his mind two days later and change the law and alter the law, he could do it. That's the type of government, the type of power, the type of authority he had. He didn't have to answer to anybody else. Now, whenever we look again at this, this image, there's something that we need. I'm going to look at this one because my writing up there, I can see back here, okay? Um, when we consider the metals, look at the metals. We have gold, we have silver, we have brass, we have iron, we have iron mixed with clay. If you look at that from top to bottom, the head going down to the toes, you'll see that the metals increase in strength. Gold's very, very, very brittle. It's very soft. But as you go downward, those metals get harder. They increase in strength, which is going to show an increase in strength of kingdoms as we go down this image. But they diminish in value. Gold is a whole lot more valuable than iron. Amen. A whole lot more valuable. There's a diminishing, if you will, of value that is among them and part and parcel and we'll get to it the reason being is because the governmental system that Nebuchadnezzar had of absolute rule that becomes weaker throughout the kingdoms there is not that absolute power like Nebuchadnezzar had at the head that you find all the way down to the brass there becomes a dividing if you will of the power and so divided power weakens power and so then there's a de decreased specific gravity or weight, if you will, basically meaning that the head is heavier than the metals down in the legs. If we could say it like this, and whenever you get all the way to the bottom, this exception here, because iron is mixed with clay, and they, in, in essence, really don't mix. You cannot properly mix iron and clay and get some alloy out of that they do not mix together and so we have a image that's top heavy and weak in the feet amen started out maybe with some great power but whenever it gets down here to the feet which will be in our generation mind you will be in our generation they're going to be weak in the feet now and I've already went through some of these things <clears throat> concerning increase in strength well in order for one kingdom to conquer another that says something of their strength that was above them so there's the increasing in strength because each is conquering the one above it all right uh, their territories are getting larger I got some maps tonight they'll show you the Babylonian empire then it'll show you the next kingdom's empire and each one is getting larger as far as in its territory so their territories are getting larger. Yes, they are diminishing. We already covered that. Their government is deteriorating. It's going from absolute rule. It's splintering off. It's growing weaker. And what's the last day, though, importance, though, of weak feet in our generation? We have not yet seen everything come about that's happening in the feet of this image. All right? And the reason why this is setting us up for weak feet, because there will be a weak governmental system, a splintered governmental system, that will be in place and what they'll be looking for is somebody that's strong somebody with the answers somebody that can bring a unification back together because we've been disunified ever since Babel there's been confusion and there's still confusion there's confusion in our government <laughs> and so there's going to be a weakness there they're going to be looking for somebody that's strong somebody with the answers and so what's going to happen the people are going to be willing to subject themselves to absolute rule just like it was back in the days of Nebuchadnezzar whenever he had to say so nobody said anything against him what he said goes 
And what's that opening the door for? The Antichrist to arise. That in the book of Revelation, the Bible says there will be some that will, 10, and we're not, I'm trying not to jump too far ahead, 10 that will give their power to him for one hour. Uh-huh. What are they looking for? They're looking for a person. They're looking for an individual to solve the problems, bring the strength back to the weakened kingdom, the human kingdom overall, the prideful kingdom, the kingdom that's in opposition to God, anti-Christ. So that's the reason why this is, this is important. You can see right there, for instance, all the orange, and it might not be clearly denoted, but all the orange there is the Babylonian Empire. So that, that's what it looked like uh, during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, his son, evil Murdoch, his son, Belshazzar. This is the Babylonian Empire uh, that they got. And so as we go a little bit further, we go to the silver, the breast and the arms of silver, another precious metal. Now, here's something that's very disturbing to the king. Daniel's telling him the interpretation. You know, he's hearing, we're the head of gold. You know, he's feeling pretty good about that. We're the head of gold, and he called me the king. He called me a king of kings and talked about my power and honor and glory. And oh, man, I'm feeling pretty good about this. But the interpretation wasn't over. He said, these breasts and arms that are of silver, notice how he stated it in verse 39. And after thee, after you, Nebuchadnezzar, after Babylon, after your kingdom, shall arise another kingdom. Stop, wait a minute, got to tell somebody. <laughs> Hold on now. You're telling me that this thing is going to, my kingdom's going to end? There's going to be another kingdom inferior or literally below inferior to you. There's going to be another kingdom that's going to be, Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom's not going to rule and reign forever. There's going to come one greater than you, more powerful than you. They're going to overtake you. And Nebuchadnezzar's probably at this point in a little bit disbelief, maybe even a little upset. Maybe he thought, maybe I didn't want to know this interpretation as bad as what I thought I wanted to know this interpretation. But that's the way it is. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter number 27 and verse number 7, notice the scripture. The Bible says, and all nations shall serve him, this is speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, shall serve Nebuchadnezzar and his son. His son was evil Murdoch. That's a great name, isn't it? You want to name your kid that? There you go. He's looking for a Bible name to name your kid. There you go. Evil Murdoch. <laughs> Amen. Now, some of you throw evil in on your kid's name anyway, don't you? I understand. Evil Murdoch. After evil Murdoch, there was a, a couple that tried to usurp the throne. They're, they're, uh, that happened just for a real small little interim of time. And then the Bible says his son's son, which was Belshazzar. Again, uh, tonight I know this is a lot of history and so on and so forth, but all this makes sense whenever we take the whole picture in. And so you just got to bear with me. If you're, if you're looking for it to kick your heels and me to lick the paint off the cell, and it's probably not happening. All right. But, and his son's son, all nations shall serve Nebuchadnezzar. They're going to serve Nebuchadnezzar, evil Murdoch, Belshazzar. They're going to serve uh, this, this, this family uh, heritage and legacy that's in Babylon until the very time of his land come. And then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. In other words, make him, Nebuchadnezzar, in that kingdom of Babylon serve them so jeremiah prophesied it that there is going to be a rule of babylon evidently through nebuchadnezzar and his daddy even uh, nabopolazar that's a great name too 
Nabopolazar was Nebuchadnezzar's daddy. Nabopolazar, Nebuchadnezzar, evil Murdoch, Belshazzar, all these kingdom of Babylon's doing well, but somewhere after his son's son, Belshazzar's in rule, things are going to change. Where other nations had served them, now they're going to be put in the servant position, and now that whole kingdom of Babylon is going to serve other nations. It was prophesied, and we see it come about in the book of Daniel. Now again, and I might say this two or three times throughout this study, remember, whenever Daniel is saying all this stuff, it's prophecy for him and his generation. But for us looking backwards, it's history right now. But you've got to appreciate it from the side of prophecy. All right? So in Daniel chapter number 5, there comes about exactly what Daniel prophesied or interpreted the dream of in Daniel chapter number 2. It's already starting to come about in Daniel chapter number 5. The Bible speaks how his son's son, Belshazzar, all right, and don't get mixed up because Daniel was called Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar's son's son is Belshazzar. But Belshazzar is having this grand feast. He's invited the thousands of his lords together. He's even getting some of the old instruments of gold and silver that his great-granddad Nebuchadnezzar had pulled out of Judah, if you'll remember, and brought those to their country. He's saying, go get those vessels. We're going to drink out of them. We're going to have a fine, fine time. And while they're doing all this and the people are getting drunk and merry, lo and behold, a hand appears out here in the midair and begins to write upon the wall. And so Belshazzar does not understand its writings and they're in a position again, they're searching for some wise men, they're searching for somebody that can grant the interpretation of what's going on. And the queen remembers Daniel, remembers how instrumental he has been in the past with the interpretation of things like this. So they go and get Daniel and what was written upon that wall, here's Belshazzar now, here's, here's that, that son's son that we spoke of in Jeremiah. He's there and, and the statement is, mene, mene, tekel, you farson. Now that sounds like something just terribly horrible, don't it? <laughs> mene, mene, tekel, you farson. And Daniel, listen, gives the interpretation to the writing on the wall, and this was its meaning right below there. God hath numbered, God hath numbered the kingdom, thy kingdom, speaking to Belshazzar, that is the kingdom of Babylon. God has numbered thy kingdom and finished it. He says, thou art weighed in the balance and art found wanting, and the kingdom, thy kingdom, Babylon, is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So back to Daniel 2 of this image, Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, the head of gold, we don't have to question who the next kingdom is. Because it was prophetic in Daniel 2, but it was fulfilled in Daniel 5. Right here in this story, Jeremiah even prophesied, said it will happen till Belshazzar, but after him, things are changing. You're not going to be the king of all nations. You're going to be a servant to another nation. And it's exactly what happened. And he's told him where it was going to go. Your kingdom is going to be given to the Medes and to the Persians. And that's exactly what took place. So we understand then, and look more particularly, verses 30 and 31 of Daniel 5, it says, in that night, after the interpretation of the handwriting on the wall was given, in that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, which are, if you remember, also mean the Babylonians, amen, was he slain. 
He's dead. Their king's dead. And Darius the Median, or the Mede, took the kingdom, being about three score and two years old. So we see then, right after this then, head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, following that, chest and arms of silver are represented representations for the kingdom of the Medo-Persian kingdom that was fulfilled in Daniel chapter number 5 but prophesied in Daniel chapter number 2. Is everybody all right? Well, I'm starting to sweat. Amen. Everybody still want to learn about Daniel and Revelation? Whoever signed those papers, everyone go, amen. All right. <laughs> <clears throat> if we go on just a little further then, well, a whole lot further, really. So we have the breast and arms, the silver, that's equal to the Medo-Persian Empire. <clears throat> the reason why they are coupled with silver, one of the reasons they are coupled with silver, the Medo-Persian Empire was known for raising taxes like crazy. They believed in this thing called taxation. So we can thank them all the way back then. <laughs> They believed in this taxation uh, idea and the way that people paid was in silver. And so since they paid the Medo-Persian Empire in silver, guess what happened? An abundance and a surplus and a great amount of coinage of silver happened for the Medo-Persian Empire. Thus, a good representation for them in the dream is silver because they amassed silver by the taxation that they put upon the people. Again, understand it from the perspective of being prophecy. If you do that, it wows me. How? And I mean, I know God is detailed, and I know God gets it on the mark every time, but to see it unfold in Scripture is just like, man, he is awesome, and he's my God. You know, it's like bragging on your dad, you know. He's my God, and it's just awesome to see that unfold. Now, let's we got to walk through history in order to do this. I mean, we're talking about history from the time of Nebuchadnezzar, the start of Babylon, all the way to the end of the day. So we're talking about a vast amount of history here. And so if you don't like history, you won't like this, okay? <laughs> but maybe you'll like it just because it's biblical history, you know. It's not European history or world history or American history. <clears throat> well, actually, some of it is. <laughs> but nevertheless, two years after the death of Nebuchadnezzar, there's continued war between the Babylons and the Mede portion of this Mede-Persian empire. For one thing, Nebuchadnezzar had married a Mede. All right? And so we, we, got, we got a continuous war that goes on. I know this is a lot to take in. If you're not taking notes, listen to it again on the podcast. But so there is a continuous war going between the Babylonians and the Medes. And so as you can see in my outline here, about 20 years this lasted until the Medo-Persians conquered Babylon they conquered that now whenever that took place we seen in Daniel chapter number five the Bible says that Darius the Median took the kingdom that's what we read Darius the Median took the kingdom in, in Daniel 531 now you got to really be careful of Bible names because a lot of times there's multiple people by the same name and that is the case here as well um, Darius there's a Darius the Median and there's a Darius the Persian that serve in close uh, distance to each other, I mean, during the same time frame, real close. So you, whenever you're reading scripture, you're reading Darius, you need to find out whether that's the Median or the Persian because there's two different Dariuses that serve in similar time frames. But Darius the Median was the uncle to Cyrus the Persian, also known as, if anybody does like history, Cyrus 
the great. He has a, has a good name, or a, a, a well-known name uh, through history as Cyrus the Great. And what Darius the Mede asked of his nephew was he asked of some help from Cyrus. He said, I need some help. Darius the Mede didn't feel like much of a fighter. He's more of a governmental politician type man. But Cyrus was the military man. Cyrus was the fighter. And so Darius asked for Cyrus to help him out. Now, Cyrus the Persian, he was heavily involved in battle. He was a military man. He had military campaigns that was going on. And so whenever Babylon was defeated by help of Cyrus, all right, Cyrus the Persian, the government, because Cyrus still has a lot of fighting to do, other military uh, campaigns to go on, Cyrus, amen, then went about fighting and he left the governmental seat of the Babylonians, the Medo-Persian Empire, to Darius. And that's the reason why the scripture denotes that Darius took the kingdom of the Babylonians. Amen. It was defeated by and large by Cyrus, but it was done in, in, in honor to the name of Darius the Medan. And so here is Cyrus, this well-known uh, military strategist, and the success that he had against Babylon was foretold about 100 years before Cyrus was ever even born. Now, this is amazing because whenever the Scripture in Isaiah speaks of Cyrus, it calls him by name, and he's 100 years away from even being born. That's my God. And this is what Scripture says. This is prophecy concerning Cyrus that isn't even on the earth yet. He says, thus saith, and this is, if you notice, I have Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28, and then we jump right into chapter 45. Thus saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure. God is saying this. Understand that Nebuchadnezzar was in the hand of God too. Remember him calling him his servant? Well, he's calling this Cyrus that's not even born yet his shepherd. Now, don't you think for a moment Jeremiah, what did he tell Jeremiah? He said, before you came out of the womb, I ordained thee a prophet. So here's, here's, here's Cyrus. He, he's to be the shepherd. He's to perform all the pleasure of the Lord. Even saying to Jerusalem, look, even saying to Jerusalem, <laughs> not, this has come about yet, thou shalt be built. Because later in Jeremiah, we'll read that Cyrus would be the one whenever he came into command with Darius over the Medo-Persians that he would give the command to the Israelites that they could go back to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple. But this is 100 years before that guy's ever born. And God saying, thou shalt build the temple and to the t- thou shalt be built and to the temple that thy foundation shall be laid. He's saying, this man's going to be the one responsible for that, but he's not even born yet. And then verse number one of Isaiah 45, he said, thus saith the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus. I love it because through the several verses here, he keeps calling him by name and he's not even named by his own mama yet. Amen. Whose right hand before him, oh, sorry, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him. See here, there is his military uh, function. Amen. In his life, he's going to subdue nations. Amen. And I will loose the loins of kings. What are you talking about? Well, through his military endeavors, he overtook Babylon. Loins of kings are the seeds of a king. Nabopolazar, Nebuchadnezzar, evil Murdoch, Belshazzar, that whole kingdom wrapped up in the seed of those kings. The loins of the kings, I will loose the loins of the king. I'm going to give them to your hand. 
to open before him the two, and this is important, we'll, we'll explain it, to open before him the two levy gates, and the gates shall not be shut. He says, I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron, and I will give thee the treasures of darkness, hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I am the Lord, which call thee by, I like that, which call thee by thy name, and am the God of Israel. Look at this. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called thee by name. I've called, thee, I've called you Cyrus more than once already, buddy. I've called thee by name. I have surnamed thee. I've called you. Mama thought she's later, 100 years later, thinking she's calling you Cyrus, but I've already called you Cyrus before she has. I've ordained this. <laughs> he says, I have surnamed thee, and though thou hast not known me. Now, the reason why this is so, so important, we'll get to this. But remember, as I've already mentioned, God's purpose, Nebuchadnezzar was his hand. The Bible says that the Lord has the, hand, the hearts of kings in his hand. He can turn them wherever soever he will. The book of Proverbs states that. And so here's Nebuchadnezzar in the hand of the king. Remember, it wasn't so much that Nebuchadnezzar overtook Judah as much as the Bible said in the first verse of the first chapter that he gave it to him. You remember that? And so he's God's servant. And the purpose of the Babylonian Empire was for the captivity of Israel, to teach Israel a lesson. You remember? They didn't keep those sabbatical years, those seven. So this was, that was the purpose for Babylon, in order to teach them a lesson. Well, God doesn't do things just mine. He has purpose. And so now he, he's going to rear up a Cyrus, who's again in his hand, that he calls his shepherd. And the purpose of the Medo-Persian Empire, by virtue of Cyrus, is to allow for the restoration of Israel and the Israelites back to their land. God's using the man, God's using the kingdom, God's using even these events that would seem to be negative toward them really for their good. And he's going to raise up this man and say, hey, you all can go back home if you want to to build your temple, build your city, and do this. And so God had all this in his hand. Cyrus later will decree this. I'm allowing them to go back. And it was already prophesied in Isaiah and Jeremiah that he would do it before he done it. Now that is awesome. I don't care who you are and what side of the tracks you live on. That is awesome. Furthermore, we're getting there. You know, it's kind of warm for December. <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't know about this vest stuff when we're having summer temperatures. <clears throat> the prophecy that Isaiah gave concerning Cyrus, we just consider for a moment how this all played out in history, how it all came about. Because this Babylon, this Babylonian kingdom that Belshazzar was over, that Cyrus conquered in the name for Darius the Mede, Darius to take care of the government, Cyrus to take care of the fighting. In history, Babylon had a moat around it and a river seemingly running through it, the Euphrates River at that. A moat in the Euphrates that ran around and through it for their defense for their protection whenever there was war. According to history, Cyrus diverted the water flow into their moat and into the river that flowed through their city, drained it, and by doing so, it gave his army access to walk in a dry-up moat and dried-up riverbed, listen, to the gates of that city 
Mm -hmm. But the carelessness of the guards, so sure about their moat and their defense and protection, left the gates unbolted. Folks, if you go back, that's the reason why in Scripture, when it's prophesied in Isaiah, Isaiah 45 and 1, he said, I will open before him, Cyrus, two levied gates. The gates shall not be shut. And it's exactly what happened in history. They walked through that dry riverbed. They came to the gates. The gates were unbolted. They were not locked as they should have been. And they could get into the city without any difficulty. And Cyrus and his army entered. No problem whatsoever. And they overtook the Babylonian kingdom in the name of Darius. Again, prophecy fulfilled. Let me tell you right now. If you didn't start seeing these things fulfilled, you need to consider what he's talking about for our day. If, if, he's, if he's dotting I's and crossing T's, then he's not getting sloppy now. And so, the breast and arms, yes, the silver, the Medo-Persian Empire, but the government and the authority system has altered somewhat. Because we have Darius the Mede who is in the governmental side, Cyrus, he's fighting his battles. But underneath Darius the Mede is about 127 provinces that have 20, 127 princes that are over those provinces. And the way and things which are right now with the rule is this. Darius couldn't for the life of him change or alter a law without getting consent from somebody. There was no absolute rule. As a matter of fact, in Daniel chapter number 6, bears record. The Bible says, Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. In other words, he can make a decree, but he couldn't just alter it and change it without consent of others. He didn't have absolute power and absolute authority. And so there is already a diminish. By the metal going from gold to silver, a diminished then in the government and the authority then of the kingdom. Here, Nebuchadnezzar, absolute rule. Nobody's telling him what to do. Now, we have some people that have to get consent in order to do something. That's the reason why later, whenever you see in the book of Esther, and the king makes a decree he's going to kill all the Jews, he can't change it. The only thing he can do is make another decree against it. It's because that king is under the Medo-Persian error. Is everybody with me? Yeah. All right. Amen. If not, come back next week, and we'll go in deeper. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, he couldn't change it, amen, without consent. Nebuchadnezzar could, already went through that, but the Medes and Persians couldn't. So there is, you see, absolute rule, split rule. Silver, silver is less than the gold in value. And whenever you get a dualism, you know, they say there really can't be a, uh, uh, co-presidents or co-anything anything that has two heads is a is a beast anyway <laughs> but uh, you know who are you going to listen to there's a divided authority right from the beginning so it usually weakens any type of organization when you get this dualism of rulership or dualism of authority in place again Babylonian Empire territory's getting greater that's gold silver the Medo-Persian Empire now, take just, just for a moment to get an idea. You see where that stops at the Persian Gulf? You see where that's at over there in Turkey? Now, consider here for a moment. See where that was at the Persian Gulf? Now, see where it's at? See where it was broke off? See where it's at? Territory is getting larger. So, there, 
intensifying because they had all the empire they already had, but now they assumed another empire within their own. And so it's becoming bigger, grander, more territorial. All right. So now we go then from the chest and arms of silver. Wow. Has anybody been keeping track of time? Okay. 45 minutes are gone. I don't know when it ended, but it ended somewhere along the way. But we got to get through this. <clears throat> Not all of this. All right. <laughs> Kids have school tomorrow. Number three, the belly and thighs of bronze, and that's cut off. But what comes about here, we can really see in chapters 8. That should be 8, 8, 10, and 11 of Daniel. The belly and thighs of bronze. And some of these are whistle stops. And this is going to be a little bit more of a whistle stop for us here this evening. So, Babylonian kingdom, Medo-Persian kingdom. All right, and see that guy has arms crossed. I don't know if his arms were crossed or not. I really, the Bible doesn't say. He could have had them up in the air for all I know. Out to the side, who knows? Uh, the belly and thighs of bronze or of brass, as it's stated in Scripture. This is spoken of in the dream. It's introduced in the dream. Whenever we get to Daniel 7 and 8, it's elaborated on a little bit more in the visions that Daniel had in chapter 7 and chapter 8. And so we can speak about 8, 10, and 11, chapters 8, 10, and 11, it tells us what that kingdom's going to be or in, those, in those chapters, but it doesn't right here. It doesn't right here in this dream. It's not like, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, thou art the head of God. It's not like you are such and such of this kingdom. There's none of that that takes place. But uh, I got to pause here because we could really jump forward in a lot of stuff as we're just going through this image. And I'm trying not, I want it to unfold as the scripture unfolds it. Okay, so I'm, I'm willfully restraining. And that's hard to do, but I'm willfully restraining because I want it to unfold as it unfolded. Because we could already talk about a lot of things. But with that being said, notice verse 39 of Daniel chapter number 2. And after these shall arise another kingdom that was told in Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, here's that second kingdom that's coming. Although it doesn't call it second, it just says another kingdom inferior to thee. And another third, we know it was second because it says this one's third. <laughs> I know some things seem simple, but you know, you miss some things in translation. And another third kingdom of brass. Important though, which shall bear rule over all the earth. Now, we think about the earth because, man, we're thinking about the United States and all these other things, but you've got to go all the way back to this day. A lot of that is an unknown world of its time. You know, existence of it was just really not known. And so we've got to go back, go back, to, back to that time. Now, has anybody ever heard of Alexander the Great? Anybody ever heard of Alexander the Great? Great military commander. He was from Macedonia, which happens to be in Greece, from Macedonia. It is a geographical region in Greece, a historical region in Greece. Many times Macedonia was even known or called Northern Greece. Something funny. Did I say something funny? Did I mess up? Oh, I thought he was laughing at me. You can laugh with me, though. <laughs> Alexander, around, somewhere around age 32, sat on the banks of the Euphrates River and was crying because he had in his words, no more worlds to conquer. And he conquered, as it was then, the known world in about 13 years. I mean, he doing a lot of finding, a lot of conquering, taking a lot of things under his hand and in his control. And so it's an interesting statement when it speaks of this third kingdom being the kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. 
because Alexander commanded the people that he had command of to address him by this title, Alexander, king of all the earth. And this third kingdom of brass, he said, which shall bear rule over all the earth, Alexander says, you call me Alexander the king of all the earth. Secondly, another point, this kingdom is a kingdom of brass. The Greeks, it, were, it was the Greeks who were the first to make bronze weapons out of any nation. They were the first to make bronze weapons. So that's kind of a detail you might want to consider or think upon. When we consider Alexander, Alexander died very suddenly. Uh, he went out one night and did a little too much drinking. His drinking turned into a fever. His fever turned into a death. <laughs> And so he died at the young age, about 32 or 33 years old, young. And so since he died at a young age, had done all this conquering, guess what? He didn't have any sons. And since he didn't have any sons, he didn't have anybody to give his empire to. And so as a result of that, he gave his empire to his four top generals. And that will be important later because we'll see a leopard with four heads. He, there's, there, we see then he gives his... Am I going too long? Am I saying a lot of stuff all of you already know? Because I don't want to. Because if I'm saying a bunch of stuff you already know, we could have started in the book of Revelation. I don't, I don't. Um, so he gave his empire to his four top generals. And only two of those four really became prominent and really became great. Uh, there was one that uh, was greater than the other, but there was two that just really came great out of the four that became dominant powers. And so here again, though, concerning authority and government, it's becoming weaker again. We started with Nebuchadnezzar, sole rule, Medo-Persian kind of a dualism. Now we're at Alexander, seems like a pretty great guy, but he died prematurely, and he had to disperse his kingdom into four. It's being divided. It's being splintered. So as a result, it's becoming weaker which goes with the metals decreasing in their value so we understand that the third kingdom according to Daniel chapters 8 10 and 11 that the third kingdom is definitely the Grecian or the Greek kingdom we understand that completely that is emphatically stated in scripture in those chapters later on that that third kingdom is the Grecian kingdom however we have no biblical history for Alexander the Great. There is no biblical history of him. The history of Alexander the Great falls between the Old Testament and the New Testament where there's nothing penned or written concerning holy record. So we have no biblical... We, we have history in our books of him, but we have no biblical history of him. And so we'll see by and large, and stuff starts to stack up a little better as we go along, that begins to prove or underscore the fact that Alexander the Great was the king over the kingdom of Greece, the Greece that we speak of as being brass, all right? But uh, he is commonly accepted by most, if not all, to be the king over the kingdom of Greece. And there will be future things, clues, that will confirm that. Medo-Persian kingdom, all right? Medo-Persian, here comes the Greek kingdom. Now you gotta, if, if I know you gotta see here, you know, you got to look where we're stopping. Look how far up we're going. Look where we're ending. You know, we go a little further. 
We're up in Greece, of course, because that's where Alexander started from. He started his little entourage this way with defeating and conquering and so on and so forth. But we're even further up here, closer into India. Amen. With, so it's territorially getting even bigger. I'm closing with, where's my wife? Wife, are you keeping track of me? 813. All right. I won't, we won't stay too long on Rome. Not for now. <clears throat> Everybody doing okay? You'll hang with me, right? Huh? I'm at 55. Well, you, you took a lot of my preliminaries in, and so give me five minutes back. That's probably what's on there, five minutes on the beginning of that preliminaries. <laughs> Hallelujah. See, we'll edit this out. That takes time. So, <clears throat> The fourth came. So we're from the belly and thighs of brass down to the legs of iron. All right? Legs of iron. I don't know if you can see that up here in the corner. Oops. Up here in the corner, I have the fourth kingdom. And the Old Testament, the fourth kingdom is not mentioned. It's mentioned as the fourth kingdom, but it's not given a name in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, it's identified. And in the New Testament, right away, Luke chapter number 2, because the fourth kingdom was the kingdom that was still in command and rule whenever Jesus Christ was born. Amen. Still in rule. As a matter of fact, we see this development from the four kingdom that goes down into the feet, part clay, part iron. You never really see the feet spoken of as the fifth kingdom, per se. Exactly. Because the iron that was in the legs is still apparent in the feet. It's as though something happened that it went away, but it came back. We'll talk about that, about what comes about with these iron and feet. Because Rome had a portion in time that they fizzled out and died, not because they were conquered, but they had internal problems and they virtually died. It was an implosion, but they revived after that. And there's a time between the legs and the feet that's unaccounted for, and it's called the church age that we see in the New Testament. Amen. All right. But anyway, in Luke 2, verse number 1, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be Tax. Now, historically, we know Caesar Augustus was the ruler of the Roman Empire. And the empire of Rome, or the Roman Empire ruler, Caesar was, the fourth kingdom is described as being as strong, it literally says, as strong as iron. The fourth kingdom is described as breaking, as subduing, as bruising, others around it and this is a good description of the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire and those of Rome did not just defeat their opponents they wanted to pulverize crush totally annihilate their opponents they ruled with a iron fist and so even the Roman Empire their weapons yes were made out of iron and iron can take brass any day. And there is this theory, and we're not getting deep into this because we don't have a whole lot of time to delve deep into much of anything here. <clears throat> but they say, well, here's this image. It has two this is where people start capitalizing on the legs. There being two legs. It's a normal man. <laughs> it has two legs. But they want to begin to talk about the Roman Empire that split between the Greek Orthodox Church pulled out from the Roman Catholic Church 
the east and the west, east being Turkey, west being Rome. And so they say the two legs then are the two divisions of the Roman Empire. But if we're going to take then something literally as a representation through depiction, one of those divisions lasted a whole lot longer than the other, so we're going to have a man that has a longer leg than his other leg. Okay, so let's be careful about just emphasizing things that doesn't necessarily uh, need to be emphasized. So the Roman Empire, it lasted, if I can go further, and I'm closing, you can stand with me, I'm closing. It lasted longer than any of the previous empires. And these are approximate numbers. I, I, I doubt we could probably get an absolute definite, okay? But these are approximate numbers. The Babylonian Empire lasted for about 70 years. The Medo-Persian Empire lasted for about 200 years. The Grecian Empire lasted for about 130 years. The Roman Empire lasted for about 500 years, but if you want to you know, talk about even after division and everything, how about about 1,500 years? And so when we consider that, yeah, we're growing in strength. They're conquering the nations that are before them. Look again. And the dynamics do change some because Rome carries things a little further this direction, a little further west and so there is their Greek empire again. Then we go on and you see that it's pushed now further this way. We got France, we got Spain, we got part of Britain, part of the northern top of Africa, all taking place. Territories are just broadening, getting larger. It's increasing. And so next week we'll start right here. We'll get into the feet of part iron and part clay because out of the interpretation there is more talk about the feet than there is any of the others that we have already spoken of tonight. Why? Because they are the last kingdom before the rock that is taken without hands that comes and hits the feet and destroys the whole image. It will be the feet that will be totally, that there will be absolutely prophecy that has not yet been fulfilled, but we're seeing come together in sectors and places in our day our time and age and I'll throw out before you a few possibilities I'm not going to say this is it and only it no 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 I'll throw out some possibilities because I don't know but there are some things that can point real close to maybe a possibility and so I'll try to share some of those next week amen as we look into the coming of our Lord amen thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.